welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Friday, April 28th, and the sun, oh my goodness, I see some sunlight as I look out of my office window here. Congratulations to Brian Verzee and Miles Murphy, first rounders. Really cool stuff there. Plenty of further coverage of the draft and analysis of it from Paul Strilo and yours truly, and tons of Really good recruiting intel going on right now at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 8 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, to our conversation with Roy Philpott, who checks notes, has been a play-by-play announcer for ESPN since 2013, 10 years. Really remarkable and unconventional path he has taken to where he is. And man, do we have some good stories from the Tommy Bowden and early Debo Sweeney era here. Enjoy. All right, joined by Roy Philpot. Roy, did you get my text to block off three hours of time for this? Because we got a lot to cover. <laughs> I mean, we probably could go for a while. I-, I sent you the text when you reached out, just knowing how much I can talk and and how you and I can get into stories. I mean, we really haven't talked in a long time, but uh, that, that may make it even, even better, even more intriguing today. I don't know. I, uh, I, I not knowing at all that you were doing the Alabama spring game. I turn it on and there you are. Well, there you are, I guess, audibly. Um, and you had just done the Clemson game as well. You looks like you have been a busy man lately, which is good. Yeah, busy's great in our business. Um, if you're in announcing play-by-play in that realm, um, you'd much rather be working than than be on the bench. And yeah, I'm I'm as busy as possible. Slows down a little bit this time of year. I have baseball and softball coming up, but yeah, do, doing spring games is fun. Did some XFL this spring, which was a ton of fun. Um, and you know, I mean, just you you never get away from it really. Like you're always looking forward to your next assignment when that next email is coming in and and trying to figure out what's coming up next. So yeah, it's been, it's been good. It's been busy really. Uh, the last couple of years have been pretty busy, especially post pandemic. So yeah, no, no complaints, man. Anybody that knows me knows I love 
I love what I do. It really isn't work. Probably like what, what you do. I mean, it's, it's not really work what we do in sports. It's just, um, there's, there's bad elements to it or hard parts to it, but it's, but it's a ton of fun. I was thinking about the hard parts for you compared to the hard parts for me, or I guess, or I guess just our routine. And it feels like you and I are almost opposites in that you, you do a ton of different sports, different teams. And it sounds like you enjoy the idea of, Hey, we need you to go do this softball game, uh, next week in wherever. Whereas full disclosure, I mean, I, I, I enjoy going to watch a Clemson softball game every now and then it's exciting, but the thought of covering it and having to know a lot about it, which you absolutely have to know about it. If you can't fake it, if you're a broadcaster, you just can't. Um, I don't know if that makes me lazy, but I'm just not <laughs> wired that way. Um, so I guess I, I admire that, like just the, the, the initiative and the desire to, to just take all comers, I guess, so to speak, as far as assignment go, assignments go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had never done softball for ESPN until this spring and I, I got the, the first couple of assignments. I'm doing a regional. I mean, it, it, it may be in Clemson for all that, that I know coming up. Um, but like doing one of those games, it's not the exact same as, you know, a big time college football game, but it's similar. Like it's not far off. Like my, my adrenaline gets going, you know, I prepare for it in the same way. Um, and, and what you said is accurate, you know, like it, I think we're always looking ahead, you know, in our business, like what, what's coming next. And when that assignment comes in, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to Oklahoma state this week and I've never been to Stillwater. Like that happened in February in hoops, which was pretty cool. I, I do, I do like those kinds of things. And, uh, when things pop up randomly or suddenly or, or quickly, uh, with a quick turnaround, it's that, that is kind of in my DNA. And I think, you know, you're, you're kind of either like that or you're not, I don't think most people are like, you know, how I just described myself. Um, but you know, that, that's what makes us all different. So it's cool. I, I definitely don't think it makes you lazy. I, I think you're the kind of guy, like you're not, you're not necessarily chasing happiness. You're, you're very happy with what you've done for so many years, done it at a very high level, very successful level. And, uh, and you know, that, that's awesome. Like I admire people like that, you know, that are, that are different than me, that are not always, you know, just chasing stuff and, and, and bouncing around everywhere, but we're all wired differently. And that, that, uh, makes us different, makes us, uh, uh, makes us unique. I was doing a radio, I was a guest on a radio show, uh, about a week ago and the host is like, you know, you've been doing it how long? And I'm like, well, actually, I hadn't even sat down and done the math, but I think this is my 20th season of Clemson football uh, coming up. And they're like, how do you, they didn't ask me this in, in this, in, you know, with this terminology, but specifically like, how do you not get bored? But I'm almost like, I, I don't really know, but I haven't. <laughs> if you told me back in 2007, Hey, you're going to still be doing this in 2023, the same thing. I would have been like, I'm going to be like ready to, gouge my eyes out with, with pencils, but it just seems that there's always something new and, and something interesting. And I guess it's all tied to the head coach of the football program, really, and all the success, because there's always this guy in a press release, and I'm rambling here, but the press release they put out last night for Brzee and Murphy getting drafted, normally the quotes 
from a head coach and those things are like canned and not very interesting, but his were interesting. Like you could, <laughs> you could really, cause he's like, both of these guys are still developing. And so therefore the Bengals and the saints got high value out of that. And so you could really read between the lines and say, this guy probably thought they should have come back, you know, so they could be top five picks. And so to learn that out of a press release, when I'm not even talking to Dabo, it's like, dang, you don't really get that out of most coaches. So anyway, uh, I, I, I say all that to say things are still interesting here. Uh, I guess 20 years later. No, that, uh, that to me, that's amazing. And like, I, I, I wholeheartedly admit, you know, like I have a shelf life. It feels like of about 10 years doing stuff. Um, you know, Steve Spurrier used to have that. I think that was his quote that, you know, as a coach in, in certain spots, you know, he, he felt like maybe 10 years was about, um, the, the lasting, the lasting time, if you will, at, at a particular school. And I think there's validity to that. Um, you know, I, I certainly want to do play by play longer than 10 years and I, I already have, but, um, yeah, to keep things interesting, to still enjoy it, you know, I, and I know that it's genuine with you that that's pretty special. And you, it's not something I think that you want to leave, that you want to try to chase and think that the grass is greener somewhere else. And like you said, you know, Clemson writes its own stories, like just with the drama, the success, the, the slow methodical rise, and then the incredible run to those, those championships and six straight playoff berths. And there just always seems to be a story to write. And I, I don't think it's like that everywhere. So um, that that's gotta be a difference maker for anybody, you know, that's on the Clemson beat or, or for yourself, it's been on it for so long. I'll say this, it needs to be pointed out that the job that you had as the publisher at CU Tigers and the administrator basically uh, of the website, totally different from what my job has been. And it's basically like, yeah, I interact with my subscribers on our message board as much as I can, but the, 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 the basic job is you write something every day, you know? So if I had, if, if I had to do the role of an administrator and a publisher of a website, definitely I would have, I would have probably been long, gone a long time ago because that is a grind for sure. I still have dreams. I kid you not probably, I don't know, two or three times a year where I haven't checked the premium message board in like weeks and, <laughs> or I haven't updated something in a long period of time. And it occurred to me that, wait a second, you forgot about this. And so like in the dream, I'm panicking and inevitably I wake up and say, Oh no, no, you, you haven't done that in, in eight years, nine years. Um, it was fun. Like I enjoyed it. It was a great launching point into broadcasting and sports media and kind of understanding a bunch of things about, how the media operates. Cause honestly, you know, I, I didn't know jumping into it. I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, so it, it was fun, but yeah, man, it's, it was a grind. And, you know, as soon as I started broadcasting, I kind of realized real quick, I'm like, wait a second, man, you know, cause when I graduated from Clemson, it was in computer engineering. I worked in corporate America for a couple of years. I was like, wait, this, this is not what I should be doing. I, I need to do, do something I'm passionate about. And so it started to see you Tiger started doing some radio and I, I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, the first time I ever called a game, a match, anything, I was like, Oh, wait, wait, no, it wasn't really, you weren't supposed to be a website, you know, administrator or a publisher. You, this is what you're supposed mm. to do. And it, it, it kind of took me a little bit of time to figure that out. And that's, 
that's kind of a consistent theme. But, you know, I take pride in that because not many people have, have operated, you know, along those lines to get into broadcasting, to get to ESPN. Really, nobody has. So it's a unique path, but it's it's one I take pride in because I, I don't mind being different. You know, I like that. It's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, like most nine out of ten broadcasters, successful broadcasters, nine out of ten successful sports writers, they went to school to do that. And so not only did you sort of take a bit of a leap in going from website administrator, uh, occasional, or I guess regular radio broadcaster to TV, you took a leap at the very beginning of, of your media experience, uh, 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 experience because you were almost totally outside the box it, it, back in what year was it that you started website? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was 2001 and, uh, 2002, like around that time, you know, a site that, that nobody read or really cared very much about. And, and it was a leap. Like, I mean, I was working in Texas. I was working in downtown Dallas for PricewaterhouseCoopers as basically a project manager. Um, we, we had a proprietary tax software for oil companies that we basically established, ran. And then, you know, I had 30 or 40 clients all throughout the Midwest that, that we would kind of take them through tax season and I just remember like in, in 2001, really maybe spring of 2002, just we were logging, you know, 90 hour weeks, 100 hour weeks where you, you didn't get a day off basically from January to to mid-March. And I mean, I just, I did not enjoy it. You know, I'm, I'm working in a cubicle, you know, working for a mid-level manager that, you know, I probably didn't have the level of respect for that I should have and just, you know, felt unmotivated and, and didn't have a lot of desire to to do what they wanted me to do. I mean, I did it, but it was just something I knew that, that I wasn't going to do for very long. So starting the website on the side was kind of like this, this entry point, a, a way to, uh, to, to gain relief from my nine to five job. And, you know, it took me a while to figure out, well, you know, maybe this is something I could make a living out of, you know, before I ever had kids before, you know, I had any real responsibilities, no mortgage, no bills. And yeah, like what you said is accurate. I, I took a leap, leap of faith and, Ended up moving from Dallas back to uh, to Atlanta, and then then here to the Upstate, and and just told myself, man, you got to make it work. You don't you don't really have a choice because you you don't want to go back and work in in corporate America. And God bless those folks that do it, man. Some of us are designed to do that or built to do that. I'm just not one of them. And then at what point? Uh, I mean, you mentioned that when you first called a game, you realized that is your calling. Yeah. But there's that sort of also that period where you're, you, you were working for CCP for, for years, right? Yeah, it really was. Like, I mean, we started that, we had the, the, the uh, daily show started January, 2012 and ran for, for six years, pretty much every weekday from noon to three. And at that same time, you know, I'm doing CU Tigers. Um, you know, you and I interacted a lot on the, on the beat at that, at that point in time. And even before that, um, and was doing stuff, you know, covering the Dallas Cowboys. And I mean, it was just, it was wild. Like, I, I don't know how I kept up with it all. I mean, it was, there, there was just constant work, but, but what you said is something I'll hit on here. Like it was 2000, maybe nine, 2008, somewhere in that time frame where Clemson asked me to do a volleyball match on ACC select. And I had never 
I never called a game. It was something I was interested in and knew I wanted to try to try, you know, having done some radio and some things. And, um, that was really, that was kind of a turning point. Like that was eye opening. I remember walking into Jervie had never called a sport of any kind and, um, was working with Chad Lampman yeah. and, and Rick Bagby. And I, I think Chad produced the first game I called and it was volleyball. And I remember walking into to Jervy and just getting goosebumps. I'm like, wait, what, what in the heck's going on here? What is this? And sat down behind the microphone was very nervous. And then, you know, a, a couple of sets in, you know, Chad, and I tell him this whenever I see him now, he's a Duke and does a great job in Durham. But I'm like, dude, you're like, you're, you're kind of responsible for launching me because maybe 30 minutes in, he, he got in the headset. He's like, Hey, you're pretty good at this. Have you ever done this before? I was like, no. And that was kind of, that was the boost I needed. But honestly, like Larry, Starting from that moment, I, I knew I was like, okay, th- this is where you know I want to focus my efforts. Even though I had all these other things going on, and even the people that work for me, you know, covering Dallas or, or, or Clemson, you know, I, I told them like, hey, I'm going to put more on your plate, you know, because this is this is kind of what I want to do. This is what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And I got a lot of looks like, oh, wait, you know, who do you think you're going to be the next Jim Phillips or? something along those lines. And in my mind, the answer was, yeah, hell yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I'm going to be. I, I don't know how or when or what school or, you know, how it's going to go down, but that was absolutely my intentions. Really the second I stepped foot in Jervy that day. All right. So you, 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 the volleyball match leading into it, how much do you know about volleyball in general? And in that moment, how much, what are you doing to prepare and, just to feel like you can talk about the, the match that's unfolding in front of you. Yeah. I, you know, I, I watched a couple of matches, you know, I Googled the vernacular. This, this is what you do, you know, and, and, and just went from that. And I mean, I had, I had a ton of, of notes. I mean, I had multiple sheets. You know, the first time I ever did sports talk radio, I had five sheets, single space typed out. This is going to be the best show in the history of humanity. <laughs> And it was a three hour show. I think I was filling in at CCP like in 04, 05. I was like, man, this, this station doesn't have any idea of what is getting ready to go down. Right. And so literally I go through five pages of notes in 10 minutes. The first segment, we don't get a single phone call and I'm just kind of sitting there and I can feel the beat of sweat going Dang. down my face. Thinking, what in the hell am I going to talk about for the next two hours and 50 minutes? And so the same thing kind of happened calling, calling that volleyball match, the same deal, all this stuff, this player's from here, (laughs) Clemson's playing tech, you know, here we go. And, 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 and then you find out what you're made of when, when you get through all the BS, then, you know, 10 minutes in, you're like, okay, let's settle in and and see what this actually sounds like. So, I mean, yeah, there was a ton of prep. I take pride in in the work I do in that department, but man, you, (laughs) I didn't have a clue. I I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just, you know, fake it till you make it, I guess, and try to wing it, which, you know, I think I did okay eventually. And so then take me through the timeline of when you started getting more and more assignments and when the, how the frequency just sort of picked up over the next few years. Yeah. So, I mean, I did some ACC select stuff and was doing high school football on WLOS, um, a local ABC affiliate based out of Asheville. The GM um, of the station at that time, Jack Connors was a, a wonderful individual. And, and really I give him a lot of credit for, for kind of molding me and sculpting me into to what I eventually became. But at every football game I would call, man, I would get an email, you know, the next Monday morning with just notes and notes and notes. Hey, we, you did this here, blah, blah, blah. And then inevitably I would respond with, well, this is what I was thinking, which, you know, he never read any of those responses. So 
I was doing a little bit of that and then started doing some, some digital work, uh, for Rick Bagby and for Clemson doing some women's hoops. Um, and, and eventually, you know, on the men's side started doing some work. So, I mean, it, it just, it was slow. I mean, it was over the course of five years where I would take whatever game I was given from anybody. You know, I wasn't making a ton of money, but it was respectable on the broadcasting side. And, um, and then, you know, I just kind of got to the point where, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying when I was working in Dallas for corporate America, I'm like, man, there's, I, I know there's more to this. I know that I'm capable of more. It was like, okay, how do I seek that out? And, and like, what's the path? And so, you know, like I would talk to, to Pete Yannity or to Don Munson at the time and just ask them, you know, Hey, what, you know, how did you guys get to, to this spot? And they were both very helpful and, and very open. Um, and, you know, I, I tell them to this day, I don't know if I've talked to Pete in a while, but when I see Don, you know, we have these conversations a good bit about, Hey, you know, I appreciate you kind of opening the door and at least explaining, you know, how the business works. So, I mean, you know, they connected me with, with Learfield and started doing some things there, um, you know, with radio at Clemson. So at that point it was just, you take whatever you can get, um, do whatever you can. And just as, as I tell young broadcasters now, you're just trying to get reps, trying to get better. And, and that's what I did pretty much until uh, December of, of 2012. And at that point I, I started to feel like uh, I was making some progress maybe on, on a national scene. So back to the radio gig, you said you had five pages of notes and then that's gone. <laughs> And you're like, oh crap! What what the heck do I do? What what was it um, that you learned uh, over the next however long uh, to help you carry a show? And and to I mean, you had to learn something to to get you more comfortable, to get your prep sort of streamlined and all that, and then to uh, and then to and then to do the job. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I, I tell young broadcasters if you can host a three hour show every weekday for multiple years and not just, you know, bore people to, to tears, then you can pretty much do anything. And so that, that was a very big deal in my development. And it just kind of came down to, to just learning to be yourself and learning, you know, to open up and, and kind of let people in to, to what's happening, you know, not with everything, but with the, with a ton of things like the, the emotions of, of dealing with coaches or players after a big loss or, you know, stuff that would happen, you know, in my neighborhood at the time or whatever it would be just being more, um, more relaxed, I, I guess. And just being me, you know, like I, I do tell people, you know, I, I tend to be pretty dramatic, you know, I'm not somebody that's even keel. And, and so I let that come across. Like if I'm calling a game now and I'm excited, man, I want people to know, I want people to feel that, um, you know, I think that's part of my brand. And so I, I allowed that to come, come, come across more, you know, in a sports talk setting as opposed to just being so like announcery. Like I, that's what I thought when I got in, everybody was supposed to be, well, you're supposed to sound like a pro. You sound like this, you talk like this. You know, I, I knew it was supposed to be fun, but I didn't know it was supposed to be that much fun. So once I started to kind of open up there and kind of let loose, I think that helped. And then that helped me be more comfortable. Um, you know, by the time I got to ESPN, to just, you know, to just be yourself. And then that's the other thing, you know, you can't, you can't pretend to be somebody else or emulate, you know, Sean McDonough or Colin Coward or <laughs> whoever, you know, that's out there. You can't do that. You just got to be you. The second you try to be somebody else, um, you know, you, you, you come across as a phony. Um, so I learned that pretty early and it, it took a little bit of time to kind of understand it fully. But I, I think to answer your question, long winded, that, that was, that was probably it more than anything. And just, just, 
let your personality come out um, as opposed to like keeping it caged up. So do you think Jim Nance like at home is like, I think I'm going to have a ham sandwich for lunch. (laughs) You know, Jim, I've never talked with him. Um, I think he does a great job. Obviously he's one of the best. Um, I think he's done a better job of being more animated, you know, later in his career. I don't know if he was told that, but especially in hoops. Um, Yeah. I I think what you see with him is pretty much what you get probably at home, but I'm I'm definitely not Jim Nance. You know, I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. It's crazy. Like, on the surface, it's like, oh man, you come into a radio station and sit in front of a microphone and you talk about sports. What I mean, come on, it couldn't be that hard. But when you do the oh. math, fifteen hours a week, including the summer when there's nothing going on in a football crazed town. Um, and oh, by the way, this is where I would be terrible. Somebody calls up, and you know, you have to know a lot about a lot of things. Uh, like, you know, oh, what do you think about the Braves? Roy, I haven't watched the Braves in, I guess, since they were in the World Series, and I watched a couple of games. I couldn't <laughs> tell you a dang thing. And so that the, the prep part, I think, is what people don't understand is, is you know, that, that has to go into a good show. Um, you have to spend a lot of time just getting ready. And um, it, 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 it sounds like a you know, kind of a chore, especially if you have an early morning show like Mickey or, uh, you know, I mean, I'm guessing he's waking up pretty early or maybe he's doing his prep work at night, but I don't know. Um, that that's difficult. 15 hours a dang week for the entirety of a, of a year. It's not hard in Clemson in the fall. I mean, because as soon as the ACC football kickoff hits, there are stories, there are people with hot takes, there are, I mean, there's a million different rabbit holes you can go down any given point in the season and just the roller coaster ride that, that even in a good year or a down year, there, there's just going to be stuff. That part is easy. But to your point, when you get past the NCAA tournament, you get to the dog days of summer. Uh, and, you know, even now, maybe with the portal, there's more breaking news um, than ever before. And I think that helps. But there's a couple of months a year, maybe three and a half months, where you are working, you're working to book guests. You're very much aware of that, having hosted this podcast for so many years and just looking for compelling content. Again, you're just trying to, to not bore people to tears. And um, if you can do that, that, that's a win. But, yeah, it keeps you sharp, too. That's the other thing I say. If you can, you can host a sports talk show, you're going to be in tune with pretty much anything that's going on nationally, locally, and, and you'll be ready to talk. You just There's no other choice because, you know, you don't want to get embarrassed and get busted for, for not knowing something. Um, and – so, uh, you know, you develop techniques on how to deal with that, too. It's, yeah, it's, it's not easy, but it's fun. And I, I look back at those years at, at 105.5 with, uh, with, with a big smile on my face because it was, you know, I learned a ton, kind of developed my brand, and, and it, was, it was awesome, especially during Clemson's come up where, you know, they, they were able to do what they did and, and eventually win the national championship a couple of times. How do you know if you're boring people to tears on a radio show? Is, is the, are the calls an accurate indicator of whether people are or aren't bored? I don't think so, no. And, I mean, it's easy to fall into that trap of, okay, we got all five lines lit, let's go. I mean, in some circumstances when that occurs, you feel like, all right, we've hit something here and this thing's going gonna, gonna to roll for a couple of hours, and, and that's accurate. But, no, I, I think, you know, some of the more compelling segments I did had nothing to do um, with phone calls. In fact, I, I had a friend of mine the other day. He was like, man, 
is I remember when you were you were hosting the show at CCP and you told the story about how your neighbors kept taking uh, dog poop from your dog and and wrapping it up into a pink bag and then and then putting it in your yard and you just kept complaining about it for all these shows and it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. It's I mean you just. It, you know, you just you you never know. Like you never know what's going to captivate people or or you know have them remember certain segments. Um, but it, it's not necessarily phone calls, you know, at, at all. It's it's your take on a big story. It's your storytelling. It's you letting people in. It's all of those things more than you know John Q. Caller that calls in every show every day. You know, spilling the same thing, and and you know that just gives you a, a free sixty seconds worth of content. I, you know, strange enough, it, it really isn't about the phone calls. It's uh, it, it's hard to quantify. And I've done segments where it's like, man, this doesn't feel like people are, are really latching onto this. And they do. I've done segments where I think it's the best radio I've ever done. And uh, I've never heard a word about it anywhere on Twitter, on, on phones, text lines, whatever. So, um, you know, the old saying is it's never as good as, as what you think it is, nor is it ever as bad as, as what you think it is. I think that certainly applies. How is Dabo Sweeney different to someone who is covering him on a daily basis in Clemson compared to someone who pops in from ESPN, uh, I don't know, a few times a year? Yeah, he he's different. Um, you know, what he's done at Clemson is remarkable. And I know that's not the question you asked me, but I, I think Clemson fans – need to be reminded of that. Like even in a down year, like last year where they ran the table in the league, won the conference bounced back with, you know, an offense that just never really found its rhythm. Um, that, that, that's a down year. And, you know, a decade ago, people, uh, w- would have been clamoring for something like that 20 years ago, that, that didn't happen 25 years ago. You know, when I was in school, you know, it, it was a basketball school and yet here he is, with all the playoff appearances, all the 10 plus win seasons, the conference championships, and, and, and they're not done by any stretch. Um, you know, he, he is an incredible human being as a coach, as a person, he's a, he's an individual that's helped me in my career, honestly. Um, but as a beat, as a beat reporter, I think that, you know, there's certain elements where he would let his guard down. Um, but when you come in, like, to call a game or even the spring game, I, I think he does a really tremendous job of peeling the curtain back and, and explaining, you know, that this is, this is what's going on. Um, so he, he gets that and is able to play to that. I, I think on a more meaningful level and, you know, like you mentioned, I, I've seen both sides of it. I think for the most part, he's, he's pretty good in both settings, but I, I do appreciate the different perspective when you come in, you know, working for, for ESPN, um, you know, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. I'll just put it that way. And that, that's part of what makes him uh, so good. So great. So elite, honestly, at his job. I mean, good doesn't do it justice. Great doesn't do it justice. I mean, this guy's one of the best head coaches in the history of college football. And by the time he's done, he, he may end up being the best all time. I don't know that right now. That's certainly Nick Saban, in my opinion, but I mean, he's got a lot of football left in him. Um, so he knows what he's doing is what I'm saying, both on, on the local beat and, and also, uh, when, when the national folks come to town. What do you remember from the early days of his time as an assistant? When did you sort of get to know him? And, and what are your recollections from before he was uh, future Hall of Fame coach and was 
a receivers coach just trying to scratch by and then a an interim uh, and then head coach just trying to prove that he could uh, do the job. I remember when Tommy Bowden hired him and they brought him in in 2003 and he was at Riggs Field. That's where the spring game was played that year, which was, it's amazing now when you think back on it. I remember seeing him for the first time and just looking at his name, I'm like, who in the heck is this? <laughs> Dabo, Dabo. Dabo, Dabo, Dabo. Right, right. Like, didn't know how to pronounce his name. What what kind of weird name is that? Like, I remember that being my first impression. And I remember him standing next to Coach Bowden on Riggs Field, like, just being a newly appointed assistant coach and just thinking, okay, you know, what in the heck is going on here? Um, and then got to know him probably a little bit more by – by two or three years later, Oh five, Oh six. And you would start to just hear things. And, you know, I interacted with him a, a little bit, honestly, I think like I, I called him in his office randomly, you know, maybe a year or two after he was hired just to kind of introduce myself and talk to him for the first time. And I think I left a message, left a voicemail on the answering machine. If that was a thing back then. Yes, and, it was. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he called me back and, and Larry, we probably talked on the phone for like two hours, just about <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And so I, I remember hanging on the phone thinking, man, this, this dude's different. Like coaches didn't talk that way. They certainly didn't talk to me like that. And so you kind of knew that, that something was special. And then when he started recruiting CJ Spiller, and, you know, we, we covered that recruitment really closely. And, and CJ and I even talked a little bit about it at the spring game, um, you know, 10 days ago. And I'm like, man, I remember doing the photo shoot with you, you know, down at Lake Butler at Union County. And we were just kind of reminiscing. But when, when Dabo was able to sign him, you, you knew that, that he was just constructed differently. So, like, my first memories would be those, him being able to recruit CJ Spiller you know, he was actively involved in the recruitment of Tim Tebow. Like the old story is there that, you know, Tommy Bowden said he couldn't recruit Tim Tebow anymore unless he knew with certainty that he was going to be able to sign him because they had a, a commitment from Willie Corn at the time. And so Dabo had to go to Tim Tebow and say, I can't recruit you anymore. And I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, if that thing would have continued, I mean, can you put two more similar people together than, than those two? <laughs> like there was something there. Um, that's a podcast for you one day uh, with, with all parties involved. But anyways, those were my first memories. And the day that he got hired was, was on my birthday, was on October 13, 2008, when he was hired as the interim coach. And I was doing radio at the time and you know, writing articles and all this stuff. And, you know, we were chasing around Tommy Bowden, as I'm sure you guys were, everybody in the media was. And so I was at Jerby and, and went back. I had to go to the bathroom. So I walked back there ran smack dab in, into coach. And I said, man, I just looked at him. I said, what a day this is for you. What a day. And, and he goes, Phil pot. It's, it's bittersweet. And he always calls me by my last name, which I like. I, I always find it funny. <laughs> he goes, Phil pot is a bittersweet day. And, and, but he, he said something along the lines of, you know, just stay tuned. Something like that. Like where you knew, okay, you know, th this dude, this dude's serious. But at the time, like I, I'm thinking, man, I, I think Clemson should hire Tommy Tuberville. What, what are they doing? Hiring, you know, Coach Sweeney, I know the personality, I know what he's done, but man, he's, he's never even been a, a play caller or anything. So I was very skeptical, but I, I knew the dude. And and so his opening press conference when he was hired full-time was, was a seminal moment for me. I don't even know that's the right use of that phrase. We sat there at the West End Zone, 
And he got up there and Terry Don puts the orange jacket on him. And then, man, he goes into this 45 minute monologue. And he was like, you know, dreams do come true. Look, look at me, Pelham, Alabama, walk on wide receiver. And now I'm the head coach here. And he got emotional and he's looking over at his kids. And I'm just sitting there. I mean, I, I'm captivated by it, not as a member of the media, just as a person that likes people with high energy, that likes people that are that are naturally motivated the way that the coach is. And I'm just thinking to myself at the time, man, you know, I, I, I almost felt like he was talking to me and he was talking about pursuing your dreams and all these things. And this was right after I had called my first game ever. And I've talked with coach about this many times. I've told him the story. And uh, so, you know, we, we cover the press conference, we leave. And on the way home, I pull over on the side of the road. And, and this is December 1, 2008, almost in the middle of the night. This is probably 10 o'clock at night, halfway back to my house. And I'm, I'm somewhere on Highway 88. And I pull over and I, I send him a text. I'm like, hey, man, I, I just want you to know that was one of the most incredible press conferences I've ever heard. And I was like, it motivates me to, to pursue my dream and what I want to do. And, and he responded about an hour later and, and he was like, Hey, I appreciate you, you know, sending me that. I'm like, yeah. And I, you know, I didn't respond back, but you know, years later he would ask me ab- about that and we've talked about it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like you, you're the one that kind of kickstarted me down this path because I, I've got a front row seat to your motivational talk about how you did what you did. Yeah. That made me want to do what I wanted to do, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, he, he, uh, I, I use him as a little bit of a cheat code in my own career, but, my early impressions of him were skepticism at first, belief later, and then like, oh my God, this dude, yeah, I mean, he gets he gets life across so many different levels. Um, and I, I would tell folks in the media, like I remember talking with Brad Fralick and, and Mark Dofer over at WYF, and I'm sure other writers, I'm like, man, like when I'm around him, I learn stuff. Yeah, I'm covering Clemson. I'm trying to be objective, right? You know, but I'm learning stuff. And so I, I learned him, I, I learned from him uh, you know, different techniques and dealing with people and, and, you know, trying to advance my own career. So I, I give coach uh, a lot of credit for that. And just with me personally, and I, I tell people all the time, man, you, you know, I would advise them to do the same. And you can learn a lot by just listening to some of his press conferences. So many layers to what you just said, but I want to hit on something you mentioned. He got emotional, you know, wasn't afraid to, of course, not afraid to let his guard down during that moment. We have to mention his predecessor, Tommy Bowden, not that it was a character flaw, not that he was a bad person or a bad coach or anything like that, but Bowden never let his guard down. And in fact, you remember this, in 2003, uh, after they get smoked at Wake Forest and the world, you know, the sky is basically falling. You got Florida State coming to town. Everybody assumes they're going to boat race you because they're ranked, I guess, number three or six or somewhere around there. And that was when <laughs> Phil Cornbalute asked the, <laughs> the the question that I'll never forget. Coach Bowden, in your heart of <laughs> in your heart of hearts, do you believe you'll be back? <laughs> and that's I mean, he he was about to cry. Like he he was. I mean, that's a fact. And then so that became a sensation. And I can't imagine what it would have been like in the social media age because it was a sensation before the social media age, just that like three or four hours before the, they ended practice before practice. And then after practice is when he denied, what, what do you mean? The quiver lip quiver? What are you, what are you talking about? I would, <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> I, what I'm saying is it Dabo immediately sort of 
crystallized an important difference in the two coaches and an important thing that Clemson folks needed. Somebody who's not afraid to let his guard down, not afraid to cry, not afraid to do anything that is that is him, you know, that's who he is. And so anyway, that's what sort of one of the things that struck me with your, the answer you gave about that press conference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, dude, you just threw out a lot right there that <laughs> potentially could be unpacked. And yeah, I mean, I, I remember all of that vividly. I remember the lip quiver, you know, we, we were involved in all of that because it was, it was our site that basically reported at the time that there was going to be a change. Oh gosh. I, and, I totally forgot about that. Right. Right. And, and like all of that happened pretty much under my nose, you know, at, at that time, I mean, we, we didn't have any checks and balances in the message board world. And, and so, um, you know, it, it kind of came out, I see it, you know, we, I don't take it down. I don't do anything with it. And, and then, you know, just the, the world goes crazy, uh, before that Tuesday afternoon press conference in his weekly, you know, meeting with the media, where, you know, Phil asked the question, great, great Cornblut impersonation too, by the way, that was, that was spot on. Um, that was spot on. And I, I just remember, you know, you could just feel the momentum of that moment, but under no circumstance did I see Clemson coming back and winning four straight and, and really just beating down FSU, a team that they, they hadn't beat, right. They, they hadn't beaten them since Florida state had joined the conference and then they're going to they're going to pull off 26 to 3 or 26 to 10 whatever it was under those circumstances when they got destroyed in Winston Salem you know to, just the week before that that was that was just shocking how all that happened um but it did and and yeah to your point i don't know that i realized it you know at the time that uh that Tommy was not like an emotional dude, but there was always something missing there. Give him full and total credit for bringing in coach Sweeney full and total credit for under the circumstances of basically being fired, recommending that Dabo deserves a shot. I I don't know anybody. I know no one that could stand up in that moment and offer up their replacement when they've been at a job and been working for, for many, many years across multiple fronts trying to make things happen and say, okay, you're getting fired, but now here's who I think you should get to replace me. Nobody does that. He did it. I mean, he deserves a ton of credit for that and just kind of starting the foundation of what Coach Sweeney was able to do, and I think he would tell you that as well. But, yeah, there there was always a wall up with, with Coach Bowden, great human being, Christian man, all the things, checks all the boxes. But at the end of the day, it always felt like there was something a little bit missing there um, with him that, that Clemson fans needed. I think that's a very good way to frame that, and I would agree with it. You know, I, I've never totally believed the account of Tommy saying, you know, I really recommend this guy. This is who you should hire. I just – I'm not saying that he didn't mention him. I – and who knows? I was not in the room, but – most of my available information and accounts suggest it's more like it was more like, well, I know you really like Dabo, so you might as well just hire him. Interesting. Um, Okay. And and, I mean, Dabo at the time, you know, he had elevated in prominence. He had, he had had a chance to go work for Nick Saban a year earlier as his passing game coordinator. He had also been a key figure in that AARC disaster flare up whatever however you want to describe it um and Terry Don had taken a liking to him um and I think 
and I'm well, uh, an educated guess that Bowden had noticed Terry Don had taken a liking in him, <laughs> and that maybe it was like, man, I know you got the hots for my <laughs> for my receivers coach. <laughs> maybe you should go. Maybe you should just take him. So anyway, I, you know, I, I'm not saying that he's misled people or anything like that. I'm just saying I've found it hard to totally buy into the idea that that Tommy, upon being fired, said, "This is the guy you got to hire, man." Right, Come on. right, you know, right. Anyway, yeah, I like that. I like that life being shed on on that uh, on that tale. But uh, you know, one way or another, they got it done, and and it was a. Uh, I mean, that was a crazy time. That was a crazy time to be on the Clemson beat with the drama. Uh, it was a crazy time to, to watch, you know, a wide receivers coach become a head coach, United fan base, go through his own trials and tribulations on the way to Chad Morris and the college football playoff and all the different things that, that unfolded in that next decade. Now, I got to ask, and we should say, uh, had they lost to Florida State, which everybody thought they were going to, that they would have made a change. They would have. Um, yes. And Billy Billy DeAndre has has told me that in recent years uh, that 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 is true. But and, and I say this full disclosure. I've written some things that have totally <laughs> ticked off coaches. I've written <laughs> some things that unfortunately haven't haven't turned out to be accurate. Luckily, that's been a long time ago. But I have to ask. <laughs> I have to ask. Like you write that the guys or well your website has the guy's going to be fired in, let's see, this was November of 2003. He's uh-huh. the, he's the coach for four, five, six, four plus more seasons. What was that like? What were, were there any sort of repercussions Were there was there any, any of his Tommy's mannerisms that were different after that? Uh, any of his assistant coaches different towards you? How did, what was the fallout from that? Like, there, there was some fallout, but Tommy, you know, there, there really wasn't. So, and I mean, I would love to just go back and read like how it was posted on the message board at the time, but you know, it, it had come from the outside, from uh, somebody that I was working with, it was posted. And I want to say the initial commentary was, you know, unless they run the table, there's going to be a change. And then it got more, okay, there's going to be a change. Mm-hmm. So I think initially there was a little bit of flexibility with it, but at that point in time, you learn as a member of the media, all right, let's, let's go with multiple sources with something like this. Let's always give yourself a little bit of leeway in in a situation where things can change. And so that was, that was certainly a bit murky, but yeah, I mean, we, we had questions to answer after all of that. No, no question. And there was a hard lesson learned. And, you know, that probably is one of the things where you don't, major in journalism and then you get into that field that's a lesson you learn the hard way so yeah no no doubt and there were some bridges to repair after that i think we did that but uh it, it was a big time lesson across multiple fronts and yeah i mean it ultimately came down to me as the site owner okay we we got to make sure that and look we we did reach out to clemson at the time uh we reached out to clemson and I talked to one of the, the the younger SIDs, and their response was, you know, hey, we, we don't have a response to this. I didn't talk to Tim Bure. Didn't really know at that point that that's who I, I should have been talking to. So multiple mistakes made uh, with certainty. And it, it took some time to, to regain trust and, and do those sorts of things. Um, but, it, yeah, it was, an, it was an interesting time. And you wonder, okay, what, what happens if, you know, they, they lose to Florida State by one, they don't go 4-0 down the stretch, you know, maybe. 
a lot of things changed for Clemson after that. So that was a pretty pivotal moment. Uh, you know, Dabo probably ends up at Alabama. Who, who knows? Um, it, it's kind of hard to figure. So interesting time, lessons learned, mistakes made. There, there is no doubt about that. Roy, I got news for you. Even people who went to journalism school have made, uh, <laughs> made mistakes. <laughs> well, but, but the thing is, is like when it all happened, I mean, it was, it was not a big deal. Until all of a sudden, like, wait a second, why are 400 people reading this website? <laughs> you know, that had never really happened before. And so you're just kind of looking at like, uh, okay. Like, I don't, I don't know that going viral was a comment back then, a phrase, but that's literally what happened. And so there, there was, there was a lot to digest all at once. Like oh, what was just normally a slow day, you know, in, in the middle towards the end of a season. And then it all just hits you at once. You're just like, uh, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Um, so yeah, it was it's uh <laughs> it was an interesting time to say the least one of my most cringeworthy moments in reporting happened i think about a year later it was after the 04 season i believe and there were rumors uh persistent rumors out there that nc that brad scott was going to go to nc state oh yeah and i i you know being young and you you want to have the story I was with the Post and Courier at the time. Um, we, I end up writing. So, I get somebody in somebody in NC State. I think uh, sort of confirmed it for me that there was interest there, and so I wrote a, an article saying um, that Brad Scott was interested in NC State, and I think the headline, which I didn't write, took it a step further. I forgot what the headline mm-hmm. said. Anyway. I, I tried calling Brad. He just didn't answer. I should have in a, a real reporter continues to try to call, try to talk to him before putting anything out there. Turns out the article comes out. They're recruiting a kid named Thomas Austin from Camden. Thomas Austin's dad throws the article in, in Brad's face when he goes there for a visit, I believe. And Oh my Lord, the next time I saw Brad Scott down in Jervy after a practice, he tore me a new one and justifiably so. So, uh, the lesson there is uh, do a little bit more legwork because it was he's, yeah. he said there's no way I would work for Chuck Amato. <laughs> he I don't think he could stand that dude, and so that was we, never uh, going to happen. We, we had moments like that too. Um, I'll never forget. Maybe my favorite one was when when Dabo was hired uh, on that October 13th, and you know we we knew all of us knew that there were going to be staff changes. You know, at the end, I mean, we, we didn't know that Rob Spence was going to be gone as quickly as he was, and he would elevate Bill, Billy Napier as quickly as he did. But, like, just reading the tea leaves at the time, you, you probably didn't think that, that Dabo and Vic Koning were going to stay and sing Kumbaya for the years to come. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember at the end of that season, we had gotten on very good word that that Vic was, was going to be on the first train out of town, regardless of how it was going to happen, that he wasn't going to be back. And so we left like this uh, Monday practice and, and we'd gotten the, the, the scoop and, and reported it in, in a sense. And again, learning lessons along the way, you, you know, you, you leave yourself a little bit of leeway. Hey, you know, from what we're hearing, Vic Coning is not going to be calling defensive plays for Clemson next year. And in fact, probably has a spot waiting for him at Kansas State. And so, you know, we wrote it, making sure that we were careful in, in, in how it was written and, you know, confirmed it with multiple sources there and here. 
And, and so the next day we get done with the press conference and, and Vic is, you know, holding, holding court as only he could. <laughs> and he, we get done and he goes, Hey, uh, Phil pot, I want you to step back here in the office with me. I'm like, Oh man, I know where this is going. <laughs> so he takes me back in the office and he goes, Hey man, I just want to know if you know something that I don't know, you know, and he's got the twang going and I'm like, coach, what, what, what you got? He goes, well, he goes, my mom was reading your website <laughs> and he goes, it sounds like I'm not coming back next year. And I said, Vic, I said, look, man, you, you know, as well as I do that, uh, that you're not going to be coming back next year. And I was like, I've got it on good word. You're going to, I think it was Kansas state. And, and he just kind of looked at me and, 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 you know, kind of dabbles around it a little bit and, um, you know, wasn't that mad, but there was a confrontation, right. And I get it. I understand. And of course, you know, 10 days later, that's exactly where he went and, and, and all was said and done. But, um, th- those moments, people, I don't think appreciate or understand or really know about in, in the media realm that, that happened. Like if you report something and people are reading your stuff, uh, sometimes you're going to have to answer some questions, to the people that you report on, and that's not always an easy thing to do. Well, if we're talking about coning in the media, we have to talk about the episode from like three months earlier when like three days before they opened the season against Alabama, I think you're down there outside the locker room in Jervy, and somebody asks him, it might have been you, just an innocuous question about recruiting, like, <laughs> like, hey, how important is this game in Atlanta <laughs> to recruiting, you know, for Clemson's profile and blah, 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 blah and maybe making some inroads in the state of Alabama. And he goes, I don't know. All I know is I went to such and such high school to recruit Julio Jones, and I see him getting out of an Escalade. Then I go, (laughs) (laughs) then I go, then I go recruit another. I I forgot who it was. I don't think it was marking. It wasn't Ingram. It was uh, an Alabama based, uh, you know, somebody who went to high school in Alabama. I go to this, I see him getting out of another Escalade. So you be the judge. And it's like, what? <laughs> and he said this. There had I don't, uh, well. First, do you remember this? First of all, you were there, right? I do. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, is that is that how it went? I just, I mean, a lot of time has passed, so I just want to make sure I'm, ba- I'm, I'm yeah, chronicling it accurately. Feel, that was that was the summer of 2008, and I remember being down there by the fountains, um, now where all the tombstones are, and and I remember, I remember him launching into this monologue, and I. I pretty sure you and I looked at each other and, and maybe a couple other folks on the beat at the time were like, Oh, okay. Well that took an unexpected left turn. And you know, that probably motivated, you know, Nick Saban in Alabama even more so. I mean, like that was kind of a, you know, a turning point in everything because Clemson was top 10 and game day was, was coming to Atlanta and Clemson was favored. And I remember, you know, talking and writing at the time, well, got the all prime leading passer and receiver coming back and, plus Jamie Harper, all these things. They're, they're going to, they're going to beat Alabama. <laughs> Boy, you got on the field that day at the Georgia dome and, and you just looked across the way and CJ Spiller brought the opening kick back. I think it was him or maybe it was another running back and just got obliterated. And you're saying, wait a second, what, what in the heck is happening here? Um, and then, you know, obviously everything changed in that 08 season, but no, Vic, Vic had a way of doing that. He, I saw him for the first time in 2019, the first time we had talked, or, or had interacted at all. And I actually emailed him maybe like a few months before that, knowing I was going to meet up with him. He didn't respond to that, but he was the DC at West Virginia. We had a game at Missouri between West Virginia and Mizzou. And, um, golly, I, I want to say Kelly Bryant started that game. I, I may be wrong, mm. but 
uh, we sat down next to Vic and, and man, he was, he was the exact same dude. I'm, I'm not sure if he remembered me or not, but was the same dude that I remembered from a decade before and, uh, had, had the same way about him. I think he's, he's at Louisiana Monroe right now. So he's still in it and still doing it. So uh, another sort of journalism lesson here in in the immediate (laughs) aftermath of the Escalade thing. And I'm talking minutes afterward, I sprint like (laughs) I sprint to my car speed home because I don't, you know, there's no, uh, there's, you know, there's no smartphones then. I think I had a Blackberry right. or a flip phone. So you gotta, you gotta get online and get it up. And so at the, at the time I had, I was still with the Post and Courier. I had a blog. That was my only way to sort of be up to the minute and sort of quote unquote compete with the websites that could put things up, you know, at a moment's notice. And so I don't make any calls. I do. I go straight home put the dang thing up. It's up like literally 10 minutes after he, after he says it. And so I think I want to say maybe Jensen called me or something. And he said, are you right? Are you? He, go, he goes, and Brett Jensen worked for, for you at CU Tigers. He goes, are you going to write that? And I'm like, uh, I already did. <laughs> like it's up. He goes, yeah. <clears throat> he said, Vic, he pleaded with me not to write it. So I, I you know, I, I guess I won't. And, and, Basically, Vic was 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 reach, you know trying to he was corralling all the reporters who who were there, and and asking them not to write that, which I wasn't there at, by that time. Um, <laughs> but so after I had put it up, I look and I have a text from Coney, and it and it says, "You know, I was joking, don't you?" Oh, and I'm boy. just like, "Dude, I, I'm sorry." And and the lesson here, I think. I mean, it's different strokes for different folks. Everybody makes their different sort of judgments on, on news and, 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 you know, whether to, to write something that somebody says, if that were like a one-on-one interview or even one-on-two or one-on-three with just a couple of reporters and he's just sort of talking out of his rear end. Okay. Like Vic, you, you don't want, I mean, do you really want us to write that? No. Okay. Well, we'll keep it to ourselves, but there were like eight to 10, guys there from my recollection and so my philosophy yeah. is dude when you say that to a group you're you're a you're a high profile coach paid a lot of money well not a lot of money compared to today's what they're getting paid today but you should know better and so i'm writing it like that was my uh, that was my uh philosophy at the time and he he is never i mean i haven't talked to him recently but i've heard he's like oh that larry <laughs> <laughs> who wrote that thing about the escalades. I bet he still remembers coaches have long memories when you do stuff like that. I can but. hear him saying that Larry Williams. <laughs> like I, I totally can hear him saying that. And that, uh, that is something he said quite frequently. If my memory is accurate. So. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. And this was a different time in the yes. now, you know, I mean that, the, the the Dabo land, the Reeves center is a fortress and there are, everything is sort of managed, you know, um, and structured with media access and such. But back in those days, you could literally walk through the McFadden building, which was, those were the football offices. And if a door was open, you could pop your head in and say, Hey, coach Conan, you got a minute? Sure. Okay. Right. And yeah. so you had different sort of relationships, I think then, than, than most reporters do now just in general. I think that's accurate. And, you know, on the television side, 
we get those stories and, and a lot of times they're, they're prefaced with, Hey, this is not for TV and they'll, they'll give you a backstory. Yep. And like you said, when, when it's a smaller setting, that's more valid to, to, to come off with that. And then to ask, Hey, you know, this is not something that's public knowledge. And so, yeah, that, uh, but in that, in that scenario, all of us were there and it, it was a bunch, at least eight to 10 at that point. Yeah. It's, it's fair game. You mentioned you alluded to Dabo helping you out in your television career and sort of a cheat code. What you want to elaborate on that? That's interesting. So when I texted him that night on December 1st, you know, we, we would revisit that on occasion. So for many years I would go into his office one-on-one. I mean, this was great access and I would interview him for the tiger pregame show on CCP or the tiger tailgate show on the network. And so we would sit down and, and beforehand and, and after the interviews, you know how he is, man. He, he's not going to let you go. And like the microphone comes down and you're done talking. No, right. like he would stand there and he would, he would like go through plays in the film he was watching. I've always had a great respect for him in, in terms of film study and understanding schemes and what he wants to accomplish. Like he is very detailed and very much in tune with a ton of stuff just schematically in college football. I'm sure he's still that way now based off our conversation. But anyways, he would put them, I put the microphone down and, and, and one day he goes, Hey, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, I, I want to be a play by play voice for a major school like, like Clemson, that would be the dream. Or I want to, you know, at another school, like I have gone to North Carolina to do it. I applied for that job when it came open around 2011, 2012, I wanted to be a finalist and just wanted to be a play-by-play voice, you know, probably at a school at that time, not understanding I wanted to do national work. So we would talk about that. And man, he was interested. Like he would, you know, ask me questions and I'm just like, man, this is just crazy how this guy never has an off day and is just genuine about everything. So long story short, like ESPN hired me first to do college basketball. That was the, the, the game I sent what ended up being my boss that hired me at the time in 2013 and it's hard to break into football. Like it is not easy. There, there's not, I mean, ESPN has a ton of games, but there's not a lot of dudes that call college football on ESPN. I mean, you know, in a good year, maybe there's 15, I don't know, maybe 20 and doing it full time. It's, it's a lot less than that. So I was trying to break in in football. And I mean, I'm just thinking one summer, like what, you know, what can I do? Like, what is a card I can play? Um, you know, I had done a couple of smaller games for ESPN college football, like starting in 2014. And I, I mean, I couldn't, I just couldn't break through because I mean, they, these guys, they get millions of demo reels, not millions, but I mean, hundreds and thousands, literally year upon year, everybody wants to do it yep. and, and not many do. So I took a chance. I want to say it was in 2014 that summer. And it was 2015, actually it was 2015. I had done maybe 30 or 40 basketball games for ESPN that year. So I'm on the verge of being full-time, which was my goal. And it was like an end of June. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to, to coach and see if I can get him to, you know, maybe make a phone call on my behalf. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just looking for anything. I'm desperate at that point. And so I send, I send Dabo a text. I'm like, Hey, I was like, you know, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, my dreams and kind of what I want to do. And I was like, you know, I've been doing some stuff for ESPN. I was like, but I'm, I'm having, I want to try to break through in football. I was like, would you mind just calling this guy? He was part of ESPN college football at the time and just tell him, this is literally what I said in the text that I don't suck. You know, <laughs> and, and that's all I said. 
And so it was probably, you know, a, a 30 or 40 word text I sent him at the end of June. And I'm thinking, oh man, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to hear anything back. Surely he's not going to do it. And I sent, I sent coach the information for the guy at ESPN in the Charlotte office. And so like two days later, sure enough, my phone rings. I look down, it's coach Sweeney. I'm like, Oh God. I'm like, what is this getting ready to be? And so I answer the phone. He goes, uh, Phil pot, Phil pot. This <laughs> is a courtesy call. And I'm, I mean, my heart was just no beating way. out of my chest. You know, I'm just like, what is, what did he say? What is happening? What's going on? And he goes, I want you to know, I just got off the phone with your boy at ESPN. And I'm like, Oh wow. Coach. I was like, man, I, I can't thank you enough for just doing that. Thank you. And I'm like, what did you say? You know, I can't even imagine what he's going to say. And he goes, well, he goes, I told him this, Phil Pot. He goes, I told him, if you don't hire Roy Phil Pot to do college football at ESPN, <laughs> you're missing out on the next Keith Jackson. Wow. And I mean, oh, Nelly. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I had tears streaming down my face at that point. And I mean, I almost have them right now, just Man. reflecting on that conversation. And I, I literally said, Holy, you know what? I was like, Coach. I, I, I can't thank you enough. You know, I, I can't thank you enough. And he goes, not a problem, man. He goes, you know, I, I believe in what you're doing. He goes, I've seen your work and, and, and just proceeded to give me an endorsement after that. And, and later we probably were on the phone for 60 seconds, maybe two minutes tops. And we held the phone and I, I'm just like, man, this, this guy, this guy is absolutely, I mean, he's just, he's the man. Um, you know, for lack of a better phrase. And so um, he joked later. I think he sent me a text later that day. He goes, by the way, you owe me dinner at Rick Irwin. <laughs> <laughs> and so like that was his running joke to me for years, really for years. He's like, Phil Pot, where's my dinner at Rick Irwin? So he goes, I got you your job at ESPN. And so he didn't get me the job, but man, it didn't hurt. And there was no coincidence that, you know, later that fall, you know, I, I started doing like my first real game was Indiana, Southern Illinois on ESPN News that year. Um, and then later that fall, I ended up doing a, an Oklahoma, Iowa State game with Baker Mayfield, you know, in a year in which Sooners ended up making the college football playoff. So he helped. He certainly did help. And, um, you know, we still joke about it to this day. But, yeah, so, I mean, when I say he's helped me in my career, you know, in terms of motivation or, or just trying to live out your dreams – no, he literally has helped um, in that way. It's that's not a bad dude to have in your corner, you know. When there's a million dudes that sound and look like me, all trying to to be ESPN play by play people. That's that's awesome. Have you taken him to dinner? I have not, and and <laughs> you know, he he has stopped mentioning it because you know he probably knew it's not going to happen. Um, you know, to, to carve that out on his schedule and you know all that stuff, but but. Like when I saw him in the spring game this past week, we're on the field, and that was a remarkable three hours just hanging out with him. Um, you know, I, I felt for sure that, that he would mention something along those lines on air because he's done it on my radio shows before on Sirius XM. Yeah. He's just said it. He's joked about it on, on CCP. He didn't do it, but he just he again was just was just giving me very nice endorsements privately about some of the stuff that I was doing. So um, just again, genuine, a spectacular human being. And, and by the way, like if that's my story, what are the 3000 other stories on people that he's yeah. I know they're out there yet to be uncovered and he doesn't want you to uncover them. That's just how he operates. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm almost speechless just rehashing some of that. Yeah, we did, I think it was during the pandemic in 20, we did a series called Random Acts of Dabo where we went and found just stories that we had heard through word of mouth and picked up. And we, you know, people he's helped and doesn't, you know, didn't really, you know, wasn't seeking publicity, of course, for them. But I remember he sent me a text or I said, I think I sent him a text. I was like, wow, this story and this guy, what you did for this guy, man, that's amazing what this guy went through. And he goes, how did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> so even then he's like, well, I don't know how this thing I did. Anyways, we've always got that, that thing going where he's like, who, who, who told you that? <laughs> so my question for him has always been like, how do you never, how are you never off? I like know, that's what I, I don't understand. Like there is an un, an undetermined, constant flowing amount of energy. I've never seen him have an off moment. I mean, he may be down when they lose a game, but even in those circumstances, like I, I always feel like behind the scenes, he is he's speaking to someone, he's helping somebody. Like there's just never an off moment. And there's other coaches that are similar to that, but almost to a man. I mean, you, you, you see them in a situation just like, yeah, you know, okay, you're, you're a human, you know, this guy, he, he doesn't have those moments. And I recognize he says things that are controversial in nature, which most of the time is just laughable with some of the outside takes. But, and I've asked him, I'm like, you know, where, where does this come from? And, and I want to say more times than not, it goes back to his upbringing and his motivation, um, you know, to get past all of that. And, and uh, again, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm speechless at the coach, at the human being, at, at everything he brings to the table, you know. If you're in the Columbia or Sumter or PD areas and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith, and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as ITTE members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Com. You mentioned, you just mentioned some of the controversial stuff. Um, what is, in your position, you work for ESPN. You, of course, are, you know, um, monitoring a lot of the national conversation about 
college football, and it's been remarkable how um, Dabo and Clemson have gone from in 15, 16, this sort of lovable, embraceable story to then like a few years later, it's man, screw this Dabo guy. He's a hypocrite, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying he has said everything perfectly. Right. I'm not saying that he has, you know, been right on every single issue that he has, he has put himself out there on, but I'm just curious, what is, what is your take for this evolution of perception of him that is really kind of flip-flopped in a, in a pretty profound way? Well, I think I said this maybe in my last, my last couple of shows at, at CCP in 2017. And, and the way I think I framed it was like this. Clemson has kind of is getting ready to become what Golden State was mm-hmm. in the NBA. And I don't know how closely you follow the NBA. I, I love it. Um, but, but Golden State was this, okay, Steph Curry is a, this nice player, but he's never going to win consistently and do all the things that he's ended up doing. And then he became that. Then they became the Splash Brothers. Then they were the flashy new, you know, brand new car driving down the street. And then everybody hated him because – of all the success and it just, it, it, it felt like Camelot. Like it felt like everything was, was perfect. It was a utopia and, and people don't like that. And I think that's kind of what happened with quote unquote, little old Clemson. People got tired of, of that, of that drum being banged. And the fact that, you know, they, they could go toe to toe with the dynasty and, and win just as many games as they lost. And in fact, give Nick Saban his biggest loss of his, of his head coaching career. I think that really is where it started to shift, you know, even more dramatically. And so at that point, people are going to dissect anything that happens uh, in Clemson and, and with Coach Sweeney and and look for any kind of cracks anywhere. And so I agree with your assessment. Are, are there things that could have been said better? Yes. Um, do I agree with every single one of his takes? No. But I know who the who the person is and man, like there's not a lot of people on the planet. I mean, it's not 0.0001% that are in the same percentile of just giving their time, their money, their resources, their everything to good deeds to people who probably don't deserve it. There's, I've never met anybody better. So uh, my perspective is, you know, when, when I hear, some criticism and it comes at at me, you know, uh, in a coach's meeting somewhere else, you know, I, I do offer the antidote and, and and play devil's advocate because again, I feel like I know him. I know what he's about. And I know that many people aren't like him, but for the most part, most people in the sport, like outside of the media, like other coaches, they still marvel at everything that's happened here. Um, there've been coaches. I had a bowl game a few years ago and there's a coach that we sat down with, at a group of five school, the first thing he says, well, I'm a Dabo guy. And he didn't know my background and everybody on my crew just starts laughing. I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And he starts talking about it. And I'm like, I was like, well, have you, have you been to Clemson? Have you met him? He goes, no, I would love to. And I was like, all right, well, we can fix that right now. And so I, I shot Dabo a text. I'm like, Hey, this, this coach is a head coach, good head coach wants to come down and meet you. I was like, do you mind if I, if, um, you know, I, I, help set that up and just, you know, pass along your contact info. He goes, heck yeah, bring them on down for spring practice. Sure enough, they were down there three months later. And, um, I'm still in consistent touch with that coach today, you know, as a result of that. But so there's more of that than the criticism in college football circles. Now in the media, 
it's hard for me to understand because I mean, like, if you're a co- if you're a media member, even on the West Coast, and you fly in there and you deal with with him, he's going to peel back the curtain for you. Like, he's he's going to, you know, he's not going to be guarded and and try to cover up anything. Like, he's going to be transparent and tell you what he thinks. You got to value that. And so when you know that particular media member, you know, turns on them, you know, fiercely and harshly. You just, you just kind of wonder, okay, what's the motivation here? Like, what, where is this coming from? So I think for the most part, the overall narrative of, you know, how he's been portrayed is is not accurate um, in, in many media lights on the national front. But, like, within the world of college football, I, there's still not a program that is that is respected, I, I think, as much. I mean, this side of Georgia and Bama is, is what Clemson is. And NFL draft last night, I think you saw some of that where – they show the five stars that are recruited to all these schools and which schools are able to turn those into draft picks. Number one on the list was Clemson at like a 75% clip. Like people know that uh, in college football without that graphic being shown um, on ESPN before the draft. Uh, so I, I think the reputation is as strong as ever, um, you know, within the, the confines of the sport, the, the media, Maybe it's a little different, but, um, you know, that's probably set to change the next couple of years as well, with just whatever changes are coming, you know, with Clemson and college football in general. It makes me uncomfortable the way the media has uh, largely, like the national media types have largely turned out, turned into this sort of Twitter peanut gallery. Yeah. And it's like, <sighs> where before they would come and develop a relationship you know, and pop in and, and be here. Whereas now maybe they don't have that in the budget or whatever. Now it's just like some of these guys just sit on their couch for 14 hours a day and are on Twitter. Like that's it. And aren't sort of privy to context, uh, in a press conference, you know, and it makes me uncomfortable because, uh, and, and it feels like that you're talking about how he's perceived. It feels like it's largely a media slash Twitter thing that has, right. has, has, has really sort of carried this to a, to a large degree. You agree? I do. Yeah. And I, um, my presence on Twitter is, is not what it once was. I mean, really by design, just because it's such a murky place for all those reasons you listed and, and, and many more. Um, and you know, now with the changes that Twitter is, is going through, you wonder, right. Is this platform really going to be stable? you know, for the years to come and, and being able to get credible information. I, I don't know the answer to that. It, it may be yes, maybe even more so. It doesn't feel like that in the moment. Um, but I think that world of sports media has has changed. And it's like, okay, how can I get clicks? How can we get eyeballs? That translates into, you know, higher revenue. Um, and just, you know, the media in general, where, where that's the case, it, it becomes problematic. Um because at that point, you know, you're, you're searching more for uh, the, the car wreck and you, you drive past and you have to stop and slow down to see it as opposed to, you know, what's really happening. Um, that's hard to watch local news sometimes as a result of those things. Hard to read, you know, the websites, not to get too political. But, I mean, all those things are out there. So that's part of a, a larger issue, I would say, um, you know, with how all of us do our thing. I am totally in lockstep with you on the Twitter thing. I can't remember the last time I sat there. And scrolled. Um, I mean, I'm on there occasionally, you know, posting links and such, but I will very seldom converse with anybody. I won't, you know, anybody who's commenting on something. I just, it just, like, 
why do that when the result is usually, oh, I'm in a bad mood after I just spent two and a half hours (laughs) (laughs) arguing with somebody who is not paying my salary on my actual website. You know, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to give somebody my time, it's going to be a customer, you know, um, instead of just some random person on Twitter who's yelling at me. I think that's valid. Uh, and I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't necessarily have customers, but um, I, you know, I, I don't even know when my mentality shifted on it. There just seems to be so much more bad than good. And, you know, in our world, I think it's, it's always important to have your brand, you know, establish and, and out there in a positive way. But at the same time, I mean, there's only, there's only so much of the nonsense that uh, is stomachable for lack of a better phrase, better word. Um, so I, I think we all can be a little healthier, not being on it as often maybe as what we were five years ago. And again, a big reason why it's changed and shifted and, and a lot of things are, are in flux. Roy, I have 59 more questions uh, written down here. No, I'm, 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 I'm just kidding. I haven't written anything down, but um, I'm going to let you go so we don't have to do the whole three hours that I that I asked you for. But right, right. Um, man, this this could go along a, a, a lot further. But um, you probably want to grab lunch, and you have pl- uh, plenty of uh, plenty of better things to do. I'm sure. Well, I look forward to the reaction in the. Uh on the website and on the Twitterverse, I know that, uh, that that's always a fun time. And, uh, yeah, you know, I still have ties to, to Clemson and, uh, even though I do a lot of work on sec network, that's always, uh, that's always fun, but you know, we all kind of grow into different roles just as you have, just as I have. And it, uh, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, how, how things have evolved sports media, uh, and even all the personalities from back in the day when, when you and I were, were both on the beat and, and now that you're still doing it, man, wish you guys success, continued success, and enjoy what you're doing. And and let's see, uh, let's see what the next couple of years look like uh, in the world of Clemson football. I, I don't think they're going to be down. I don't think they're going to be uh, off base from what's happened. Uh, you know, even going back the last couple of years when they were winning championships. What's the most? I'm sorry, I lied. What's the one more question? What's the most <laughs> important thing or interesting thing you learned from your time here in Clemson that weekend? Um, for the spring game, you mean? Yep. Yep. Two words, Peter Woods. Um, I got asked the other day comparing what I saw at Alabama to what I saw at Clemson, and I thought it was a great question. It was Aaron Murray, the, the Georgia graduate, the all-time yeah. leading passer of the SEC that asked me that question. I was on his show, and I was like, man, that's a great question. And I answered the same way I'll, I'll kind of answer what you asked. Like Alabama right now, I feel better about their offensive line. I feel better about their wide receivers. Clemson, I feel better about its defensive line and its overall defense. With what I saw from Peter Woods and some of their young defenders, even with linebackers being injured and not being full strength at wide receiver, um, I I think the defensive side of the ball is going to have to lead the charge early. Uh, I I do – think that that Clemson needs to enhance its wide receiver recruitment and, Mm -hmm. and maybe some of the guys that are banged up are going to remind us more of 2011 than, than what we saw the last two years. That's a little bit of an issue for me, but I think Cade is going to get there and they didn't show anything. I mean, they showed nothing of Garrett Riley's new offense in in that spring game. It was counters. It was screens. I I don't know that you're going to see much of any of that uh, when they open the season uh, up at Duke. So if, if I'm a Clemson fan, I would be very excited about the new direction Garrett Riley has taken the program in on offense. 
I do feel like that change was needed. No offense to Brandon Street, who I think is a very good coach. Things were getting stale. They needed new life. They've gotten that. And then I think their defense, man, I, I don't know. I've never heard a, I've never heard Dabo. Think about this for a second. I've never heard Dabo talk about a player the way that he talked about with me before that spring game, Peter Woods. And I, I stopped him like maybe five minutes in. I'm like, Matt, you didn't talk about Trevor Lawrence like this. You didn't talk about Deshaun Watson like this. Like this is saying something, what you're saying about Peter Woods. So I think he's the next big thing. I, I mean, I, I think he's the next Christian Wilkins. He's a different version. You know, he's probably more of a Grady Jarrett, Dexter Lawrence hybrid than anything else. I, I heard that somewhere. I agree with it. I think their defense is going to be legit. I just want to see a little bit more explosiveness out of that wide receiver spot. And then I want to fully understand what Garrett Riley means. I think he brings a ton of swagger to that group. Like when we talk with him, I was just like, okay, I, I, I like all of this. Like this, this feels like what I was feeling when Chad Morris was back here that first year. Doesn't mean that they come out as the greatest show on turf week one. I mean, I think you and I remember the crowd was booing against Troy when, <laughs> when Chad made, made his debut. Yep. But they weren't booing, you know, a month later when they'd beaten three straight ranked teams for the first time in ACC history. So long-winded answer. Clemson's going to be just fine. I, I think, you know, right now, I, I think they're the favorite this year and nothing better could happen than for us to just be talking about Florida state all summer, how they're going to do it. They're back. It's Jordan Travis. We know what we're getting with him. And, uh, and then can Clemson, you know, find a way to keep up. I, I Florida state goes to death Valley. I think that means something. Um, but I was, I was really impressed with what I saw. I want to see a little bit more wide receiver. If that's the one kind of glaring thing where I'm like, man, this doesn't look like how I want it to. Maybe it does by the fall. Maybe it does by the fall with this offense and getting guys back healthy and, and kind of figuring things out. Okay. Last question. I promise. <laughs> and I'm sure this is the first time anybody's asked you this in five years. What conference is Clemson in? Oh man. I mean, in my heart of hearts, Phil Cornblue. <laughs> are, are, is your lip quivering as you say this? It, it, it is quivering. <laughs> I mean, nobody's told me this. No one. No one has told me this in the ACC. No one has told me this at Clemson. No one has told me this in this specific conference. I think I'm pretty good at determining things where like you can just kind of see what's going on mm -hmm. and you don't know the outcome, you know, and, and that it's set in stone and concrete. Um, but, but you can kind of see where things are trending what would make sense. Where does Clemson fit long-term, not, not in 2024, maybe not in 2025, but by the end of this decade, I mean, you have a hard time convincing me that there's not a natural attraction between Clemson and the SEC. So my educated guess is that that's what happens. Um, when, how, buyouts, grant of rights, I don't know. But in my world, it's about matchups. In my world, it's about matchups that draw eyeballs, matchups that draw ratings, Clemson, Florida, Clemson, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, Auburn. Like if Clemson was a member of that conference, all of a sudden you're kind of Georgia ish in the sense that everybody you play is a rival. Like yeah. there are so many great rivalries that are undiscovered because Clemson is not in the sec. 
that could potentially be there. Now, I say all of that. There, there has to be things that are happening, right? I mean, there, there, things have to shift in a certain way. I think that it, potentially there would be other more desirable teams from the SEC's perspective in markets. Perhaps they're not yet in that that could be, you know, okay, well, this makes a lot of sense, but, but Clemson and I think Florida state are also a, a very big part of that. So again, long winded, if we get to another monumental seismic shift in conference realignment, I think Clemson would be desirable by the sec and the big 10. Yeah. And I think at that point that becomes, okay, what's in our best interest? Um, you know, and I think Clemson wants to be in the AAU, uh, at some point in time, that's a fit in the Big Ten. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. In my heart of hearts, going back to 03, that's a great way to close it down. <laughs> I, I think I think they're probably in the SEC. I, I just think there's there's money to be made. There are matchups to be uh, to be set. And and what a scene it would be with with Bama or Florida or, or Georgia coming to town every other year in this 20 team mega league. Um, I don't know, man. That that would get me pretty excited. Now I may be dead wrong, and I'll come back on this podcast whenever we know one way or another and, and tell you I was. But arranging the tea leaves, Larry, that would be my educated guess. Same here. But the important part is you just gave me my headline, which is going to be ESPN <laughs> announcer predicts Clemson to SEC. So thanks, man. That's what I went to journalism school for. <laughs> and I'll be getting phone calls rather quickly. And, uh, <laughs> It'll be hell to pay, but no, it's, you know, we're, we're speculating there. Yep. Uh, more of that, I think, is going to come out, you know, probably the next weeks or, or, or months as far as what, what other teams are going to be doing. It, it it doesn't feel stable, and I, I think that's that's the right way to frame what, uh, what conferences are right now and what they could be in five years. Roy Philpot, man, you have taken an unconventional path, but, man, congrats to what you have become and all that is to come in your broadcasting career, man. Really well done. I appreciate you. Best is yet to come, as uh, William Christopher likes to say. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Larry. All right, that really could have gone a lot longer, but I uh, appreciate Roy for giving us that much of his time. also appreciate the support of our sponsors for being such loyal and consistent supporters of the podcast. And, of course... Thanks mostly to every one of you for hitting that play button. Really appreciate it.